1: is a member of the Great Big Owl family.
0: This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you not listen to? Um. <laughs> chart
1: music. <laughs> <laughs> chart music.
0: Oh. go. Pop Craze Youngsters and welcome to part two of episode number 48 of Chart Music, January the 24th, 1980. I'm back here again with Taylor Parks. Hello. And Simon Price. Hi. Shall we get stuck into it, chaps? Let's not fuck about
2: Hey-ho, let's go.
0: All right then, Pop Craze Youngsters, it is time to go back to January the 24th, 1980. Always remember, we may code down your favourite band or artist, but we never... Forget they've been on top of the pops more than we have.
1: 30 seconds earlier, and I could have been on tomorrow's world. As it is, it's top of the pops. Hello.
0: We're immediately thrown into a cold open of tonight's host.
2: Mike Reed is back. Yeah. yeah.
1: At least he's actually bothered to work out a line.
2: Right. He's got a little joke. I've noticed that about about him, that he does sort of script his, his links, unlike, mm. you know, DLT just sort of wings it or whatever. Um, yeah. They're not good links. They're not funny. They, no. they often don't even mean anything. But you can tell he sat down and written them. So I'll give him that. Mm
1: yeah he says 30 seconds earlier i could have been on tomorrow as well. yeah well i was thinking mate if your dad had pulled out 30 seconds earlier we'd all retrospectively owe him a pint. <laughs>
2: well, that's just not how things yeah. turned out. but yeah it's it's not it's not a joke is it? it's he says it with his slight kind of droll wobble of the head, you know, as if he's imparted a nice little witticism, but it doesn't work, you know. he's 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 glib and smooth in his delivery. But he gets away with not actually having any material as such. Yeah,
1: you, it, it's nice that he's still new enough to look like he's trying. And it's not like when DLT shows up in the 80s and he's basically scratching his bollocks and yawning while he's introducing <laughs> the act. But unfortunately, Mike Reed trying is almost worse than Mike Reed on autopilot. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like he's doing his best, and that's the saddest thing of all. This is it. This is the <laughs> peak of a man's life. And it's a bit embarrassing to see how pleased he is to be up there, you know, mm. for no reason, just wasting everyone's time. And looking ghastly, by the way. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm I mean, going to
2: disagree with you on that, but yeah, okay.
1: You know think? I mean? I mean, he's got, he's got that stark black and white check shirt on. With a cream yeah. jacket,
2: I would have wanted that. that I shirt. would wear the shit out of that shirt. I would wear it now, actually, mm. if it fit me. I, I actually had a shirt a bit like that later on in the '80s, but it was more of a sort of swirly psychedelic chessboard, like a sort of op art Bridget Riley right. kind of thing. Um, nice. I, I would love to wear that now. Unfortunately, I have a neck like a tree trunk, so you just can't get them to fit. But yeah, um, oh. some people would look at Mike Reed in that You shirt. put it on now and all the lines suddenly turn straight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some people look at that shirt that Mike Reed's got on and are going to think pizza chef, but, or pizza chef's mm. trousers. But you know, I, I think it's, a, it's a lovely shirt. I've got to say. No, we know, we know what he's getting out there, don't he? He's done. Yeah, but would you yeah.
1: wear it with a cream jacket? Because it looks, it just looks like he's been left out in the air and uh, gone discoloured and crusty around the edges. You know, like the artificial (laughs) cream on a school donut. (laughs) By the time you got there, it's got a shell on it. You know. Yeah.
2: I, I didn't see him in this era. I didn't see him until a few months later. I didn't. I hadn't heard of him yet. I didn't see this episode. So when I look at this now, there's something a bit unsettlingly off and different about him. And I couldn't figure out what it is. And it's that he's not wearing glasses. Yeah. yeah and yeah, you yeah. know when you see somebody who's o- always got glasses or sunglasses or something on and they haven't got them on, they just look really wrong. Mm. And there's yeah. no there's no sort of physical explanation for why that would be the case because they've still got a face with yes. normal eyes. It's just that um, somehow, that it, it, yeah, it, it looks like they've had something sucked out of them or, or whatever. You know, it's just no, it's 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 his, kind of wrong. It's
1: his, it's his weak mole eyes. Squinting into the light. I mean, it's like, all right, so you're vain and myopic, (laughs) right? But what is this? The days when contact lenses were like a a Pyrex dish you had to hammer (laughs) onto your eyeball, you know? I mean, what's this problem? (laughs) I don't know, I don't like to see it. It's like he's stumbling around like Velma, mm. you know what I mean? Like <laughs> he comes could, yeah. face to face with an escaped tiger yeah, yeah. and
2: pats it on the head and says, yeah. Nice doggy.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. He looks like he's been shaken awake after three hours sleep.
2: It's a bit like the, the old joke, you wouldn't hit a man with glasses, would you? And then you t- take off the glasses and then hit them, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: No, no one needs those, those pinhole peepers. Uh, peering out of the telly. Put your fucking bins on, man. Yeah. Get a nice colourful pair that express your personality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That and your that and your blue shorts, you'll still attract all the classiest oh ladies. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna come to that,
0: yeah. Maybe you dropped the Tomorrow's World reference just to make sure he actually wasn't on Tomorrow's World. <laughs>
2: Walked into the wrong studio, mm. yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, you're the
2: expert. You're the top of the pops expert. You've been mm. on the story of Top of the Pops 1989 well, yes. more than we have, right? Yes. Um, you know the timeline, so I've got to ask this thing: that green illuminated disc with his autograph on it. Yes. Was was that a brand new thing? How? I mean, I don't recall seeing that in any episodes that we've covered. How long did that last? Was it just? For, it can't, can't just be for him for that one night.
0: Well, as we'll see throughout the show, um, a couple of other bands and artists get that as well, don't they? Mm. As we've discovered um when we've covered 1980 in previous uh, chart musics. This is their fucking about period, isn't it? So they're just trying new things, new production yeah. ideas. Yeah, yeah. This is the beginning of the tinkering era of Top of the Pops. Right, yeah, yeah. At this moment in time, Mike Reed is currently holding down the 8pm slot in the week, and tonight he's lodged between talk about... A regular open forum held in schools where Andy Peebles reasons with the youth on the issues of the day (laughs) and, and then plays their requests for madness and the police and John Peel. He's a year and a week away from ripping Dave Lee Travis out of the breakfast show throne. In the meantime, he's been enjoying the perks that presenting a Radio 1 show can bestow on a man by wetting his beak in the trough of personal appearances at regional nightclubs. Article in the stage, mid-1979. As many cabaret venues throughout the country convert their premises into discos, the demand for named disc jockeys has increased considerably. Mike Reed is one of the leading DJs represented by MPC Artists and Management who report bumper business for all their artists during the summer months. In their experience, the appearance of a well-known DJ at one of the larger venues can sell up to 2,000 tickets in advance. Fucking hell, that's how bereft we were in the (laughs) event Yeah. But it has to be said, there is a downside to this. As reported by a pop-crazy youngster by the name of Chris, who sent me a series of letters that his partner wrote, the drafts of which he kindly passed on to me. And, uh, yeah, this is a while ago, so I've lost your surname, Chris. I do apologise. Make yourself known on social media, and you'll be bigged up in the true style and fashion. Imagine the excitement The year was 1982 And megastar Mike Reed announced He was to make a personal appearance At the Saturday Night Disco In the Kettering Leisure Village (laughs) A dilapidated sports hall The 16-year-old Jill can hardly comprehend The glamour of such an occasion So prepares a note to hand to Mike should she get a chance? Dear Mike Reed, Hi, I'm Jill. Well, this is not a bad disco. Please could you play a record for my friends Emma, Maria, Sue, Alison, Sam, and my boyfriend David? Susie and the Banshees would agree with us. Well, me and David anyway. Ta, Jill. I'm not sure exactly what a live appearance by Mike Reed entails, but I doubt it's going to involve Susie and the Banshees. (laughs) How did it go? Well, here's the letter of apology she sent to Mike (laughs) Reed on behalf of the good people of Kettering. (laughs) Dear Mike... I am writing to you to personally apologise for the pathetic behaviour of certain people who ruined Saturday evening completely. I feel really ashamed and embarrassed that when someone like you takes the time to come to Kettering, we thank you by causing a riot. (laughs) I really wouldn't blame you if you never come to Kettering again. Anyway thank you very much for my autograph I almost didn't have the heart to ask you after all that maybe apology would have been more appropriate yours sincerely, Jill and here's this is how fucking deep it goes here's a letter to her friend Wendell explaining what happened (laughs) God, on Saturday me, David, Maria, Alison Emma and Sue went to Mike Reed boy, I shouldn't think he'll come to Kettering again There was a load of fighting, ending when the police came and dragged off half the audience. Mike Reed was so disgusted, he walked off. He came back on at the end to sign autographs. I got one. He looked really terrible, all yellow and drenched in sweat. Yuck, he looked fed up. And to my knowledge, Mike Reed has never been back to caterate.
2: <laughs> Riots at Mike Reed PA. Fucking out. Oh, wow. Well, you see, you know, um, it happened to all these sort of two-tone legends, you know. Yes, he's, he's, yes. He's, he's going out there in the world with this message of love and peace and racial unity, but yeah, inevitably, inevitably, the National Front skinheads were drawn to, you know, his his sort of jumping up and down, stomping tunes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just it's a tragedy. Happened to Jimmy Percy. Happened to the Specials, and now it's happened to Mike Reid.
1: Yeah, he turned up in his madness, modness, bad. Yes,
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, Thing is, if um, and, and going back to that that bit you just read out of uh, the availability of DJs and how much they uh, they bumped up the takings of those mm. provincial nightclubs, you think that's tragic? In Barry, right? We didn't even have famous Radio One DJs. We had <laughs> famous Radio One DJ's brothers.
0: Fucking right?
2: hell! Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a sort of uh, church hall on Holton Road, the main shopping street, which quite often had a poster outside for a disco held by. Vince Saville. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Did you go? No, I was too young. Oh, actually, maybe I wasn't. Hey, <laughs> but yeah. Jesus.
1: Younger people don't appreciate this—the the cultural bleakness of don't. this time. They really don't. I was just thinking. You know, I was comparing Mike Reed's uh, sartorial choices on this episode to the artificial cream on a school donor, and I was thinking that was the dessert for, like, a salad, which was a heap of carrot shavings, <laughs> one leaf, uh, a single hemisphere of instant mash doled out with an ice cream <laughs> scoop, and a little pile of salted peanuts. Mm. I mean, that was the healthy option. And yes. it's This was the universe within which we experienced Mike Reed, yeah. and within which Mike Reed made some colour of sense. You know, this... Mm these Eastern block conditions uh, under which most British people still lived in 1980, you know, in terms of f- food standard of living, the cars people drove and the, the low quality goods they had to buy. And so this prick comes on TV and he's basically a, a rusted up Austin Maxi, you know, mm. but in Radio One terms, he's the he's the sporty little coupe mm. of of the range, you know, of the fleet.
0: The TR7, isn't it?
1: And we took it because he wasn't uh, a murkin faced workplace <laughs> bully, uh, <laughs> or a or a sinewy albino sex offender. Mm. It's like, hey, this guy's cool.
2: Yeah, or uh, off-duty maths teacher. Yeah, right. yeah. Ugh. yeah. I mean, I liked him. Yeah, I mean, I I can't. There's no point rewriting history. The heart wants what it wants, you know. Mm. And um, he was the cool one. Yeah, and he had. And I, I last time we talked about, it, I think it was episode twenty uh, when we found out that he was uh, uh, called Mickey Manchester yes. in his past. Mm. Uh, I, I I did like his sort of chortlesome twee style that he had, mm. and he was a slight, just a very slight shift forwards from the old school DJs to the seventies. Yeah. Well, he's buttoned his shirt up, hasn't he? For a start, he has. Yeah, buttoned his shirt up t- to the um, to the top without um, without a tie. Yeah, big mistake. Well, I don't know, but it makes him look part of the new wave, at least. Yeah. And he's got all the badges. The badges are very performative, aren't they? There's so many of them. Yes. It's like, it's, it's laying it on a bit thick. Well, well it's, a, it's a, a clankening. A clankening. Yeah. I mean, I can't even have a go. I'm sure we've talked about this before, but on my Harrington. Yeah. Or later on, my bomber jacket. I, the, the idea of not wearing all my badges at once. I just didn't get that. You know, I, I didn't get that just like one badge can make a huge impact. I would wear every fucking one. And he's doing that.
0: The one thing that infuriated me about this episode was I I could hardly make out any of the badges. Well, there's Madness.
2: There's a Madness one. There's a Madness
0: one, yeah. And there's one I think is Kate Bush. Looks like there's a Prisoner one as well. Oh, really? Yeah, because he's got some some big badges on, which was not the style at the
2: time. No one cool, was it? That'd be one inch. But um, just all these trappings and everything about him, just these little tiny details made you build a bigger picture in your head that was probably wrong. Well, in fact, we now know it was wrong. But you mm. assumed he was one of the good guys. You assume yeah. that, you know, any, including politically in that, you just assumed, you know, he's name-checking the jam, and he's into the specials and madness and all that. Yeah. He's kind of, you know, he's on our side. You know, he just thought... Exactly. He's on the side of the angels. But, uh, well, um, boy, do we turn out to be very wrong about that.
1: Mm. I don't know. I was just listening to his beautiful song about the 2004 tsunami. Uh, what? You remember that? No. Yeah, yeah, it got it was number 4 in the British charts. Oh my god. Um yeah, What's it, it? it was a, a charity record. Right. Oh, well, it, yeah. it was yeah, with the uh uh what were they called One World Project, uh, a pretty actually fairly impressive supergroup of pensioner rock stars singing Mike Reed's song about the 2004 tsunami, the uh, the comfortingly titled Grief Never Grows Old um oh, and it's it's not a I have to say it's not a song that shows too many signs of being the work of an older more experienced songwriter <laughs> uh it sounds like it was composed on a glockenspiel oh. uh, but i do one thing you can say about it uh is that it's not as bad as the 2004 tsunami
2: completely mm. <laughs> passed me by that didn't didn't even know that existed yeah me too yeah, yeah. so um when I was uh, preparing for this episode, uh, I remembered that last time we talked about Mike Reed, inevitably, there were lots mm. of uh, jokey references to Blue Tulip Rose Reed. You know? Of course there is. Um, we did you know, lots of quotes from that. And for people who don't know, it was this uh, documentary on Channel 4 in the 90s called I'm Your Number One Fan about stalkers. And um, mm. the most eye-catching and memorable character in it was this woman who'd renamed herself blue tulip rose reed and was a mike reed fan and um she's only on the show for about 15 20 minutes out of an hour but but, oh. but, um, but what 15 20 yeah, minutes exactly. they are and um i i decided partly because i'll admit i was trying to dredge it for more funny quotes for this episode but just to sort of get get a feel of it because i haven't watched it for a while i rewatched it and it just it was just way darker than i remember obviously mm. the funny bits are still funny in a kind of bleak way in a way that you feel guilty for laughing because it's clearly somebody with severe mental health issues and the program probably wouldn't get made now for exactly that reason um Mm. but you know but but you laugh at it and you watch it in in the same way that you know if they you know you you watch something on on live leaks um some or faces of death some really you know awful thing that you 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 can't take your eyes away but you know you know that on some level you shouldn't be looking at it Mm. but um so it's like that so I, I just thought for anyone who hasn't seen it, and it is probably out there on YouTube anyway, if you want to go looking, but I, I just want to summarize it for people. So is that, is that okay? If I can just go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, it starts off and we, we see her basically jilling off under the bed covers. And mm. uh, this in itself was, uh, obviously kind of pre-planned and, and she's going, no, I can't listen to him. It's going straight off. This, this is how his voice. And then she does a sort of sex noise. And, mm. uh, um, and then, you know, uh, and she goes, oh, uh, about about uh, uh, meeting him in the Radio 1 car park, this gorgeous-looking guy, I thought, he's an absolute cracker. And then you Ooh. get the famous, the first really iconic line from it is when she talks about Ed Stewart being there with him yes. in the Radio 1 car park. Ed Stewart's breath stinks. Mike Reed has got beautiful breath he's gorgeous he is fantastic he is tops so he gives it all that and then taylor alluded to the blue shorts thing where she slaps his ass and goes whoa yeah. tenders tenders talk about the electricity going through me and all of that um so that's the kind of meet cute at the start of it if you like uh which it sounds very much to anybody watching it like you know it wasn't an accidental meeting she totally went there to stalk him in the first place uh, and um and you know She does quite a few these monologues to camera where she's saying, you know, get very emotional, saying, he is everything to me. He's very, very, very precious to me. There is no guy in this world that I've ever loved till I fell for Mike. And then (laughs) we get... This this is the bit where, and in in the last uh, the time we did we did Mike Reed Taylor said that she's literally barking mad. This is the mm-hmm. evidence of that. Um, she goes, Mike Reed, husband dearest, eat your heart out, and she starts barking, woofing to yes. Mike Oldfield's Portsmouth. Yes, <laughs> it's all of the, all of that. Um, she, she sends him messages going like, "When can I get in bed with you?" Um, yes. Uh, oh, this is when she goes to the oh the print shop. That the, the scene is yes. a print shop. It's incredible. She goes in. She wants to get a t shirt made. So you know, when can I get in bed with you? And uh, one of the guys behind the counter says, oh, "I thought he was gay." And she's like, "Hey, hey! Yes. Now you can pack that in <laughs> as soon as you like." Yes. And um and she breaks down. She starts sobbing. She and um, and, and then then we see her on camera. Um, sobbing to the camera, going, "I don't yeah. mean to cause you any harm." And this is this is the chilling bit. Yeah. If I have caused you any harm, I've not meant it. And that, yeah, and th- this is it. Just starts getting really dark. And she says this phrase, which it it would be a pull quote if if this was a magazine article. Mm. This would be. It, it, she goes, "You have to be a nuisance to get what you want today." Yes, and yeah, that that would be kind of on the film poster or whatever. And and she goes. So I'm warning you viewers, if you happen to fall for a DJ, please be careful. And then, then it gets to the bit that, seriously, that, you know, you, you wonder why the cameras are still rolling. But she goes, Mike Reed made me very, very ill, and it's put me yes. on these. And she holds out dia- diazepam tablets. And she basically talks about an overdose. She talks about having this mm. failed suicide attempt. And, and uh, she goes, I've always been lonely because my marriages have never worked out. I mean, marriage is plural. I, best will in the world, no. that, that raises an eyebrow. But then she goes, but Mike's the only one who can cure me because Mike has special powers. Special powers. And then there's the bit. She's on a, a train station on her way to London, and there's a couple of teenagers sort of dry humping each other on a bench on the station. Yes. And she she pesters them to show them one of her homemade Mike Reed t-shirts and starts cackling wildly. And then um, then they go to the graphologist, and uh, uh, and, and and this uh, and also there's this woman who's basically a station manager at Classic FM, and they start showing the actual letters. That she's written. Yes. To. Uh, there's one. It's like, "My sweet lips, Mike Reed. I am enclosing you some tennis balls. I cannot wait to play with yours. Will you play with mine? Now, will you marry me? Love, Blue Tulip Rose Reed. Oh man, fucking hell. And there's another one. There's a typed one that says, "How would you like to find a dead body in your doorway? And then, yes. and, and then, it, then it goes into her suicide attempt." In in the letter. Then we have a bit of a uh, light relief with a famous washing machine photo. Of course. Where she she sent in a photo to the station that she has named Mike Reed and on the back it says, This is to show that I have a washing machine. <laughs> and, um, there's, and, and there's an envelope, which I think the photo came in, with, with scrawl on the outside of the envelope, which I paused it, and it says, yeah. I badly need your sexy body. And it's got <laughs> a picture of a cock and bull squirting jizz yes. out of it. Here comes yes. Jason. Um, very badly <laughs> uh, one, as, we, as yeah. mentioned before. An absolute amateur. Yeah, it's not very good, is it? No, no. No. And I've never noticed before, but when you pause it, there's a topless photo of her, dear God. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And and we we see her um, typing naked, and and then yes. the, the office manager, Classic FM, starts reading extracts. saying, you will know when I am in a temper, I go pure white and shake, and and yeah, you you do sort of feel like it shouldn't have been made, but then she she goes to Classic FM, she's actually there, and she's saying, "I'm going to a prison camp because everyone there are treated like prisoners." And she's walking through Camden Town crowing like a cockerel and, and she enters and, and oh, then it's, here's the prison warder now and uh, and, and then, then we have a voiceover from her saying, I don't stalk I don't believe in it, I've never stalked anybody in my life, so it's this kind mm. of delusional thing and and uh, just the way she says she says, I changed my name to Blue Tulip Rose Reed spelt R-E-A-D she says it quite aggressively like that you know and uh, she, she's talking to the um, sort of gatekeepers, the, um, the the office manager in in the lobby at Classic mm. of M, And she goes, "Have you ever known anyone go celibate for the guy they love?" And then she pauses and goes, "In case you don't know what that means." And they all crack up, <laughs> they all crack up, laugh and go, "Yeah, I, I do, you know." And uh, and 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 um, they say to her, "What do you think his girlfriend thinks of that?" And she goes, "He hasn't got any. He hasn't got any. But he has now." me, I'm a jealous woman, I've never hurt anybody, I've never hit anybody, which sounds a bit menacing, and then she goes, I do not come here, I, I do not come down here every day, because I cannot afford to, which, <laughs> I mean, this is where, yeah. it, it, there's all this dark stuff, but there are these moments of just pure comedy that you could not have scripted better if you tried, and afterwards, she, she actually feels great. There's almost this moment of light at the end where she, she at least feels great <laughs> for spilling it all out. She feels top banana. And then she's walking yes. away. She's walking away giving, you know, give me an M, you know, that thing walking down yeah. the street. And, and that, that's the last, last we see of her. But you watch it now. And then you, and then you watch this episode of Top the Pops and Mike Reed. And you think, you poor fucker, you might be mm. a UKIP loving, you know Frankie goes to Hollywood banning bastard but nobody deserves that and you know no. presumably because uh, you know we, we hear that he did see all the letters yeah. it must have been pretty fucking traumatic
0: for him in this episode no spoilers we don't see a lot of interaction between Mike Reed and the kids no fucking hell no wonder He's probably quarantined himself.
1: Wouldn't it be great if, when you look back, every single television appearance that Mike Reid ever made, it's like, okay, pause it there. Right, now yeah. zoom in on that bit of the sc- There she yeah, is. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, one of these members of Legs & Co are not like the
1: others. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, uh, uh, wild as she was, I'm not sure Blue Tulip could have kept pace with Mike's uh, real life. Uh, uh love life um cuz i was thinking about this watching this program and i suddenly remembered when one of his exes did a kiss and tell thing in one of the tabloids did oh, you really? ever see this yeah no and she said that he got her to tie his erection to a bedpost with one of her with one of her silk stockings now when you stop and think about that it's really peculiar. It's like a combination of different elements, all of which some people find sexy, but put together in a way <laughs> that makes no sense at all. It's like she tied his erection to a bedpost with a silk stocking. It's like... Fucking it, no. hell. It, you picture that. I mean, I picture that in explicit detail. Mm. Um, I would say needlessly explicit in fact like quite shocking in its frankness um and to me it's like someone's built a model aircraft with all the right parts (laughs) but it's got a wing coming out of the front and like the wheels are on the roof you know what i mean it's like what's he doing there you imagine this scene with love is a wonderful colour oh, you work, bastard. Drifting
2: across the room yeah it is a bit like sort of Je- jeff goldblum in the fly or one of those things where people get teleported but when they come out the other end they're all jumbled up yeah yeah <laughs> you yeah. know yeah all, all the elements are kind of wrong and they have to redo it, it to
1: stop him from sticking his balls in her ear you're getting it wrong
0: We're immediately thrown into a cold open of Mike Reed, standing on a balcony under a green light with his signature etched into it, in black trousers, pale cream suit jacket with a clanking of badges down the left lapel, and an on-trend black and white check shirt, as he drops a Tomorrow's World reference and introduces the Top 30 rundown, as we are assailed by the sound of Jazz Carnival by Azimuth. Formed in Rio de Janeiro in 1971, Azimuth were a jazz funk trio who first came to prominence in Brazil when they did the soundtrack to O Fabuloso Fittipolde, a documentary about Emerson Fittipolde, and they signed to the American jazz label Milestone soon after. This is a track from their third LP, Light as a Feather. It entered the a fortnight ago, and this week it's nipped up two places from number 21 to number 19. So, chaps,
2: this is what Brazilian jazz funk sounds like then. Okay. There's lots of this about uh, in 1979-80. Stuff vaguely like this. You had Spirogyra, Morning yeah. Dance. And a few years later, Met Soforte with Garden Party, mm. and and also um, there were these LPs that people would often have in their homes because this was the era where people had just started buying um, what was then high end hi fi equipment, and there would be mm. LPs that you would buy that would be specifically made to show off yes. the dynamic range of that, and it would they'd be called cool things like you know the sound of stereo or hi fi sounds or something like that, and it would be mm. light orchestral, light orchestral or sort of cocktail jazz. Like like that. And, mm. um, you know, I, I it's, it's it's a whole different world and you sort of can't imagine why people would listen to it for pleasure. The thing with Azimuth is, uh, given their story, their backstory and their heritage, the fact they were formed in 1971 and they were a Brazilian jazz funk band, mm. um, I'm thinking that somewhere in their back catalogue, there's got to be some fantastic music. There yeah. must be. But it ain't this. Yeah, exactly. I feel like an ignoramus for slagging this off, but this tune... Why was this a hit? I don't get it at all. This came on at the disco, you wouldn't dance to it?
1: Yeah. What's
2: What's its point? Well, it was
1: the early days of home video, and maybe people needed... Uh background music for their you know promotional video presentations of their abattoir or
2: you know because <laughs> this is what it's like i mean i thought you're going to say home videos of tying their erections to the bedpost with a silk stocking as well you know yeah good work for that yeah
1: i can't hear this without seeing the words press start flashing on the screen it's yeah
0: it's like, this is the background music on the in segments they used to have on electric blue isn't it yeah or it'd be on danger freaks do you remember that Taylor, that was on Central all the time in the 80s. No. It was this documentary that used to trot out every bank holiday about Australian stuntmen. Oh yeah. It had a ridiculous theme tune where this bloke would just go, Danger Freaks! <laughs> right at the end after they'd jump through a hoop of fire or something. And that caught on at our school. we just formed a group called Danger Freaks and we'd, we'd dare each other to walk on the science tables yeah. and get from one end of the classroom to the other without falling off or being caught by a teacher yeah. and at the end you had to jump off and go danger free. Yes. You're,
2: you're like the yeah. original jackass or dirty sanchez or whatever yes no that's yeah. what
1: this is like in it it's that sort of bespoke unobtrusive jazz funk uh tinkle that people would commission for this stuff you know it's like if you need mm. music that's not going to be listened to but you haven't got the funds to use library music. People just get their mate to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. lower than test card music. It's like this is, you would hear, you'd only hear it, yeah, football highlights videos, uh, porno films, um, interlude sequences or VCR demonstration tapes featuring film of paragliders Uh, And brightly dressed skiers. Someone's got a mate who owns his own studio. Oh, he can play anything, you know. He's
0: got a setting for that.
1: Yeah, it's a great thing to have done though, surely, isn't it? Because at least you know that your, your contribution to this world was actually useful which must be
2: a nice, mm. peaceful feeling. And it was exactly the sort of thing which 15 years after this um, suddenly became very hip when all those types like the Sound Gallery and, you know, Mike, Mike Flowers Pops yeah. and like that started that easy listening revival. <laughs> Although I don't recall hearing uh, this Azimuth record on that scene, and I did go to some of those nights, and probably because it's just crap, mm. it's irredeemable, you know. Well, it's tainted
0: with the musk of disco,
2: isn't it? Even though it's mm. not really... I mean, it works quite well as a backing for... The countdown because you know, you're you're not really listening to the song, you're just thinking, Oh fuck this, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the photos instead. Oh yes, and we have got a choice crop this week, haven't we? Um I like the Cool and the Gang photo, um, because they yes. stood next to uh, this this posh car that looks like you know when you get teenagers standing next to a, yes. a, a fancy car that isn't theirs, yes. but they want to make out that it's theirs. <laughs> I got that kind of feeling from it. Um you've got the skids looking like extras from Blake Seven, I thought. <laughs> Rupert Holmes looking like a young James Whale. Um the tourists. Yes. Tourist yes. The tourists look like a TV director's idea of a new wave band. Like you know, they mm. they basically been sent to the costume department. Fiddler's yeah. Dram, man. Day trip to Bangor. Twelve of yes. the fuckers. Twelve yeah.
1: piece band. Yeah. Good luck with the royalties.
2: I know they make Dexys look like Blamange or something. <laughs> uh, you've got, um, uh, John of Van walking off into the sunset, arm in arm. Like it looks like a remake of Casablanca. In they look know, like they're about to have a snog. Don't. Yeah. They? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's um, good to
1: see they've found happiness. At yeah.
2: <laughs> you got, you got a classic cliched photo of the clash looking hard in a shopping precinct. Yes. <laughs> uh, you got you got the beat with Saxa looking like he's photobombing them, which he always did, really, to be fair. Yes. And did. then there's a couple of examples of um, anachronism that slightly bothered me. There's a Pink Floyd one um, where, and I'm not a huge Pink Floyd I'm not a Pink Floyd person at all, mm. but there's this picture of Pink Floyd and it's a live shot and they've all got very long hair and it looks quite psychedelic and they're performing under what looks like a, mm. a sort of projection or a backdrop of this swirly kind of space monster. I thought that's mm. got to be the wrong era because this is the world now this is you know a fairly modern time and I don't know that uh, that that yeah. may be right and it's a
0: there, fucking awful photo isn't there's it? lots of awful it's like it's um, been taken by someone at the back of Wembley Arena well there's lots
2: of very bad life photos there's one of Sugar Hill Gang which is a sort of like red oh blobs. that's awful yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: that's awful it's like someone's just jogged the camera yeah,
2: um, it's, in a nightclub absolutely yeah the other the other anachronism that bothered me was uh, Booker T and the MGs where they've got what looks like a very modern era photo for a record that came out in the 60s yeah um a couple others that jumped out to me were, um, American, uh, middle of the road rock acts. There's Sticks, where one of, the, one of the guys in Sticks, he's got oh, these God. white plus fours, sort of like jodpers, tucked into gold <laughs> riding boots. It's quite a look. And, uh, and then nice. um, there's there's Doctor Hook who um, just Doctor Hook just oh. look elated to be alive. And uh, all I'm saying is, if anyone's yeah. seen that legendary performance of theirs on German TV, uh, I think that Doctor Hook were elated to be alive quite a lot of the time. <laughs> Oof. I've not seen that. Oh fucking hell! Yeah, it's just basically if 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 you rule out uh, Brian Jones in the Rolling Stones "We Love You" video, uh, mm. then, then Doctor Hook on, live on uh, on German TV is the most fucked that any band has looked on film. <laughs> I'm saying it's extraordinary. Taylor's probably seen it.
1: I haven't, but I will.
2: You haven't? Oh my oh, god! Yeah. Video playlist, everyone. Yeah,
1: yeah. My favourite pictures, uh, aside from Rupert Holmes looking like a photo fit that suddenly turned into quarter profile, um, is uh, uh, new music, um, a yeah, uh, bit of horseplay in the mm. queue to audition as Manuel in the local rep <laughs> touring production of Faulty Towers. One of them's got an open hand held out under the other one's chin, and it looks like he's saying, Are you chewing, boy? <laughs> spit out that gum. And on Azimuth's slide on the chart rundown, you can't really see what's going on. It's a live picture, bit of a mess. You just see uh, half of a much too big drum kit and a musician sat on a high stool and everything's too fuzzy to see what he's playing, but Mm. it's not a piano, so get off the fucking stool.
0: Yeah, You
1: look like you're waiting for a roadie to walk on and feed you Cow and Gate mashed banana pudding. On a plastic <laughs> spoon, and then give you massive backhanded slaps around the head when he thinks no one's looking.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, Ro- uh, Rose Royce, nine yeah. piece bag. Nine, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just laughing at Fiddler's Dram and waving handfuls <laughs> of banknotes at him derisively. <laughs> uh, and a lovely shot of Sheila B. Devotion that mm-hmm. looks like, uh, as it's listed, uh, there's some confusions, but I'm sure we'll come to you later. Will, devotion. Will. Sheila and Be Devotion, more correct. Yeah. Uh, yes. Looks like someone's pressed pause two seconds before John Ohms walked into the shop anyway. <laughs> it's that lovely aesthetic, that sort of like, you know, that, uh, that boogie night's aesthetic, glossy yeah, yeah. and healthy on the beach uh, mm. before you die at 34 in mysterious circumstances. Not that this happened to Sheila, thank the Lord.
0: I mean, I've got Matchbox, who look like the rapists in Deliverance at a works dinner dance. They are
2: (laughs) scary as fuck. Um,
0: Richard Jobson of the skids in a yellow jogging suit, which makes him look like Hyacinth Bouquet on a fun run for the local church. (laughs) And uh, Fiddler's Drum, they do look like a shoot football team centre spread photo from the 1534
2: stroke five season. (laughs) (laughs) And like overpopulated bands, right? You've got Rose Royce with nine... uh, Fiddler's drown with 12. Even dollar. There's five members of dollar. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? David Van Day looks like he's got a bum-fluff moustache as well in the photo. Which oh, is my thing, God.
1: Yeah. The weirdest thing about this chart rundown, though, is when you get to number two, Billy Preston and Cyrita, mm. their name... Written in a different type yes. to everybody else. Why? Didn't notice that. Wow. The only possible explanation I can think of is that somebody spelt Cyrita wrong <laughs> and they had to change right. it at yeah. the last minute. Called him Billy Preston a Rivita. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but such trifles had never bothered them before. We've no. seen misspelt band names on there. Yeah. Um, and secondly, if they were capable of putting new letters on a slide, why would they not have access to the usual letter set? Yeah. A mystery for the ages.
0: So the following week, Jazz Carnival dropped three places to number 22, and they were never reacquainted with the UK charts again. But it sold over half a million copies worldwide, which set them up as a regular fixture on the international jazz festival circuit, and they split up for the first time in 1987. <laughs> The cat sat on the all of television history is contained in the Box of Delights.
1: I've climbed up Nelson's Gollum once before. These are small. And put it down in front of Bagpuss.
0: I'm Julia Rayside. Join me and my guests as we dip into our favourite TV memories. mustn't
1: hesitate bashing head like this. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. You ain't my mother.
2: I love when a plan comes together. Come and tell us what yours are too. We've all been told we can't discuss nominations. It's a bit of car air. Shut up. <laughs> with a novel on the top.
1: I think I like you, Lovejoy. Find
0: us on Twitter at Delights Pod and listen wherever you get your podcasts. fade into the backdrop of the next act, bearing the band name in a non-more Aventis digital watch font It's the Plastic Age by the Buggles Formed in Wimbledon in 1977, the Buggles consisted of Jeff Downs, the former keyboard player of the mid-70s jazz fusion band She's French, who had turned down a position (laughs) in Wizard, and Trevor Horn, a former Bob Dylan tribute act from Durham, who moved to London in the early 70s to help re-record top 20 hits for BBC Radio, which still had restrictions on needle time and playing in the orchestra for Come Dancing. They linked up in 1976 when Downs joined Horn and his then-girlfriend Tina Charles in a covers band called Northern Lights, later becoming members of her backing band when she became a solo artist while arsing about in assorted side projects. They'd already recorded their first single Video Killed the Radio Star in 1978 above a stonemason's in Wimbledon but they didn't land a record deal until 1979 with Ireland and it took five weeks to knock message in a bottle off number one spending a week there before giving way to Lena Martell mm. <sighs> This is the follow-up, and the second cut from their debut album, The Age of Plastic, which came out a fortnight ago. It's a new entry this week at number 54, and here they are in the studio. Yeah, the main takeaway from that potted history is Trevor Horn was Tina Charles's baby, who just loves to dance, who wants to dance, who loves to dance, who's got
2: to dance. <laughs> that changes everything for me now. I interviewed um, Trevor Horn and asked him about about this. Um, he's not on the record, sadly. He's oh. uh, he was yeah, uh, um, he was just in the live band, um, but still, you know, right. um, you know, great bit of um, great a great introduction to to pop history to be part. Mm. of. Tina Charles' backing band. Hooked him up with Bidu and all them lot. Well, that's it, yeah. Which, you know, um, probably put him in good stead for production stuff, I would imagine. Mm. Um, I went to see the Buggles once. Uh, he, right. he did a kind of charity gig in, oh, maybe up 10 years ago now, uh, in what used to be called subterranean, maybe is now called Subterranea again, in Labrote Grove, underneath mm. the, the Westway. And um, there were lots of guest stars, people like... Uh, Oh, God, Gary Barlow and, uh, um, Richard O'Brien from the Rocky Horror Show and all, all these kind of people. And, um, they did, they did video Killed the radio star seven times in the gig. No, <laughs> yeah. no. Seriously. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, because they, they basically, they, they did the album, The Age of Plastic and, uh, which of course has the song on it, but basically mm. all the crowd wanted to hear was that song. And they, right. They had a oh, local God. children's choir. Joined them for one rendition of it. And I think, yeah, Richard O'Brien for one and Gary Barlow. For, and they, they literally did the song seven times. Fucking so, okay, hell. Yeah. If, if any band has milks their hit more than that, I'd love to know about it. God, did you shout,
0: do video, kill the radio star <laughs> at the end, Simon? <laughs> yeah, I yeah,
1: exactly.
2: Done. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Buggle's currently tussling with uh, new music for the electronic mm. nerd pop crown, And they're certainly winning commercially. Yes. Uh, Artistically, I'm not sure who comes out on top. New music had better tunes, but Buggles Mm. were more full on, you know, robot waiter, gross out, pseudo plastic. I say pseudo plastic because, of course, they were old musos, really, you know, just Mm. having fun. And there was never anything simply celebratory about the futuristic blankness of buggles music when you listen to it it's always a bit regretful you know pining for yeah. the past it's like a satire of ultra modernity sort of bittersweet mm. at best um and it's to me it's quite funny how this record is trying really hard to sound uh modern and Bleepy and not like late period, yes, which it keeps threatening (laughs) to lurch into. And then suddenly it reaches that bridge section and the lid blows off and it starts going for the one. Like he, he can't help himself because that's what he is musically, Trevor Horn, which is why he's a better producer than artist. You apply all that skill and all that bombast to some decent pop music and the result can be phenomenal but you know when the source of of that technical wizardry is in charge from top to bottom you might not get what you need and he i mean i you know i i quite love this record and he has been involved in the songwriting and performance of some great pop music but you know mm. most often the good stuff happens when someone a bit fresher and perhaps dumber comes up with the meat, and he goes off and cooks it. you know uh, mm-hmm. i mean this it's a good record, this, but it sounds like a project, whereas the best records he was involved with sound like events, which is yeah. just something he couldn 't do on his own
2: yeah that that yes bit, and mm-hmm. I, know, I know the bit you 're talking about is that they send the hard police mm-hmm. to yeah. put yeah. you under cardiac arrest wait, wait, it's it's you. Like John Anderson, just yeah, like John exactly. Anderson. Exactly, you can totally imagine John Anderson singing that bit. And uh, it struck me as uh, that, like, coupled with the fact that Jeff Downs has four keyboards on the go, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it struck me as what what amounts to uh, in, in football. Uh, in football, they call it a "come and get me" plea. Right. <laughs> there, there, there'd be a post TOTP interview, and Trevor Horn would, would say, obviously, I have a great deal of admiration for Yes, but I'm yeah. fully committed to the Buggles at the moment, and I'm, I'm yes. just taking each single as it comes. Yeah. You no. know. Want away musician. Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: There's some controversy when he likes a post on Twitter <laughs> <of> showing him <laughs> photoshopped into the current Yes lineup.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, while, while us pop kids were thinking the buggles were part of the new wave, the remnants of a much older wave were watching with evil intent. I mean, I've got a bit H.D. Yeah. H- H- Wells' War, the world's out, Jeff Wayne's version anyway, but you can imagine the kind of Richard Burton, uh, voiceover. No one would have believed in the first years of the <laughs> 1980s that chart pop affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of Prague. No one would have yeah. dreamed that synth bands were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility of a yes revival involving the fucking Buggles. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded top of the pops with envious eyes. Slowly and surely, they drew their plans against us. Yeah, and- the lyrics, right, Taylor's right about the ambivalence of whether it likes the future or doesn't like the future. Mm. But the bit that jumped out at me is uh, the, the, the first lines, Every day my metal friend shakes my bed at 6am. And I'm yeah. thinking, yeah, well, if you will live in a house share with Cradle of Filth fans, what do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, I'll uh, tumbleweed on it. Right, yeah. right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, shakes
0: my bed at 6am and there's Mike Reed's cock tied to the <laughs> end of it. <laughs>
1: the, the worst lyrics, though, is in that bit where he says... Yeah, they send the heart police to put you under cardiac arrest. Yeah, very nice. Doesn't mean anything. It's just Mm. an empty pun. I hate it. It's like, you might (laughs) as well say... They send the bear police to put you in a panda car. It's like, oh, yeah, it's very, oh very, very good. good that. Yeah, no, yeah. it's not. It doesn't mean anything at all.
2: <laughs> of all the things it's scared of with the future, it's where The heart attacks are, seem to be the, the preeminent one because heart attacks are you know as old as time, and yeah. he just seems to think that cardiac arrest is somehow this terrible thing that the 1980s is going to bring. You know, yeah. I, mean, I mean, the whole thing is just kind of sub-Alvin Toffler future shock stuff about artificial intelligence and plastic surgery. Mm. But the, the main obsession is heart attacks. I don't really get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: You'd think, if but, anything, they would become less frequent
2: as yeah, yeah. technology marches
1: yeah. on. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, but I did like this record. I, um, I liked it at the time, and I, I can prove it because. Um, the copy of it I've got is clearly one that I bought at the time. Because I don't know if you remember these. They're these Panini stickers, like similar to the football ones, of pop music right. that came out for a while. And, and I collected them. I never, I never got enough of them to fill a book. In fact, I don't even think I had the book but I just used to put them on the cut-out sleeves of whatever records I owned by that artist. And I've still got right. my copy of Living in the Plastic Age in an Island Records sleeve with that sticker on it. But the sticker's slightly too big, uh, so I've had to sort of tuck the corner of it, fold it round the middle, you know, the, the circle in the middle. We didn't get that in Nottingham, I don't
0: think. I've got no recollection of that, come to think of it. What we had, even then, even in 1980, there was an ice cream van and it still had in the window by the serving hatch, buy a screwball and get a Mirabelle sticker of your favourite pop star. And it was David Cassidy and Donny Osmond and the so Basics. Way out of date then, Still, yeah. couldn't yeah. have been bothered to take it down. Fucking and hell. I yeah. always wanted to ask just out of interest, but I thought, no, I'll lose all street credibility if I stand on this street with loads of kids behind me asking for a David Cassidy sticker. Yeah,
1: well, it's like in uh, 1980, 81, 82, whenever there was, like, on a birthday card or something, if there was, like, a drawing of a pop star and he's yes. still got stack heels and yes. uh, is, yeah. uh, <laughs> glitter stars on him and a big guitar, yeah, usually yeah. an acoustic guitar for some reason. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah,
2: they look like the band Child, if you remember them. That yeah. was, Yes. Yeah, that's what yeah. they would look like.
1: See, I don't... I do remember this from the time, but I don't remember having any reaction to it at all, right? To me, mm. this was a bit of a bit of a non-event. It was a bit underwhelming after their last yeah. Playground smash, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Video Killed the Radio Star was just as innovative as our friends Electric. They were, yeah. they were of a pair to yeah. me. Yeah. And looking yeah. back now, you just think, why the fuck did you think that, you twat? No, it's a great record. It was a great record. I, mean, I bought it. You know, that was one of my uh, number one singles that I had to buy that week. Mm. But with this one, I mean, you could say that the the pressure's on for the Buggles here. It's no, the underwhelming follow-up, isn't it? Yeah.
2: yeah, it's it's the underwhelming follow-up, which is a classic thing in pop history, really. Yeah. And then there was, was like Clean Clean and Street," And I think, I, I, I don't know the chop positions off the top of my head, I'm sure you do, but mm. I, I reckon it's a sort of a perfect downward curve, probably, mm. for them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The term diminishing
0: returns was made for the Buggles' career.
1: But the thing about this it's like just because it 's got a simple riff like out of a ZX spectrum game, you know that do 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 doesn 't mean it's <laughs> doesn 't mean it's commercial you know it's really it's a producer's record, sort of in the wrong way in that it's it's like it 's all sound and feel and concept, like posing as a pop song, you know. But it's sort of, in a way, it can't really commit. It's like, I'm I'm really unimpressed by the hook line where he says, this could be the plastic age. It just sounds a bit weak. Mm. Don't speculate. Declare. Sure. This is the pl- if If Sir Jimmy Savile, OBE, KCSG, had said, this could be the age of the trade, <laughs> yeah. he wouldn't be where he is today. No. Um, and it... And this is not just a pale successor to Video Killed the Radio Star. It's a pale precursor to their best record for my money, which is Elstree, which is the one which really shows how a a song and a record can be totally cerebral and conceptual and clever, clever, and a bit of a put-on, but also Mm. gorgeous and poignant uh, and genuine. And to me, that one also... does a better job of straddling that comic futurism and authentic nostalgia. Uh, Yeah. Much better than this one. As good as Video Cut. But whatever anyone thinks of the Buggles, I would say it's a clear sign of how open and unrestrictive the pop scene of 1980 really was, that anyone could consider this an acceptable look and sound and general Mm. aesthetic for a hit group. You know, whereas in fact, straight into looking, no problem. I mean, they weren't a hit group for very long because they're not the kind of band that builds a following, and they also were not a churning hit factory. But they also they sort of weren't a novelty band or an obvious one hit wonder band either. Mm. They were just this. They were like just an odd arrangement of unphotogenic men in bad clothes that don't really go together looking like the sort of Aventis geeks you might see on making the most of the micro, you know, talking talking about (laughs) sending electronic messages by computer. But, uh, you know... But except they're dressed like they're dressed up for a play in their village hall, for which they've done all the music on a synthesizer. <laughs> Is it?
2: I don't know though. You, you say you say bad clothes, but the guitarist has got this amazing quilted silver jacket yeah. that I would wear the shit out of, possibly along with Mike Reed's chessboard shirt. I
1: feel bad for him though. He's, yeah, this guy—he looks like, for a start, he looks like the impossible offspring of Peter Duncan and shamed comedy <laughs> actor Chris Lagham. but he's. <laughs> He has his moment stolen. He's, he's got a mic set up, right? And he mimes that vocode a bit near the beginning where it goes, oh, yeah. Hello! Um, and that should have been his big star turn, you know, his novelty cameo. You should yeah. have got a big close-up of his face going, Hello! Like Steve yeah. Priest, you know. <laughs> um, but in fact, what <laughs> happens is the camera... At that point, is zooming in on Trevor Horn and removing him from the shot, and then to make it worse, Trevor lives up to his name and horns in on his bit, oh, and he mimes it himself. Nice. And on such moments, careers can turn. You know, no, no one ever heard of that guy again. Paul, he bass. didn't yeah. get
2: headhunted by Yes. No, I don't think. No. Yeah. Oh, and did you notice the drummer? No. It's our old
0: friend, Richard Burgess, who was last seen in Driver 67, who is currently working on Landscape's debut LP. No way. You know, no yes.
2: Blimey.
0: Yeah. I was
1: just distracted by, what's his name, Down's seemingly homemade green flash jogging suit, which he's chosen <laughs> to wear with a bako foil wind cheater, which is, uh, you know, a dystopian vision of a never occurring future, just as unsettling as the one in metropolis if
0: so that. the next week the plastic age entered the top 40 at number 35 and would take four weeks to get to number 16 its highest position however a few months later the buggles were commencing work on their second lp when another band were in the studio next door yes who were one of horn's favorite bands and were also under the wing of their new manager And after Horn bunged over a song for them to record, him and Downs were invited to replace John Anderson and Rick Wakeman, so they did that instead. In the meantime, Ireland would put out the follow-up Clean Clean, which would only get to number 38 for two weeks in April of this year, and they would close out 1980 with Elstree, which straggled up to number 55 in November. After Yes dismanded in the same month, they returned to London to get on with the second Buggles LP, but Downs walked out on the very first day of recording as he'd been invited by Steve Howe to form the band Asia with Carl Palmer and John Wetton of King Crimson. So Horn started messing about with a fair light, finished it off himself, said fuck this for a game of soldiers, and went on to be the production overlord of the 80s. <laughs>
2: On the plastic age, the follow up to Video Kill the Radio Star. The Nolans
1: once had the doubtful pleasure of having me sing with them around a piano. Fortunately, it hasn't stopped them. They're up there this week at number four.
0: camera pans back from the stage to reveal Reed standing behind the kids as he reminds us that he's a musician too, you know, before handing off to a video of I'm in the mood for dancing by the Nolans. We've discussed the Nolan sisters many a time and oft and this is their 11th single. It's the follow-up to Spirit, Body and Soul, which was their first chart single in the UK after five years of flopperage, and it was rushed out the week after the previous single peaked at number 34 in October of 1979. After stalling at number 73 for two weeks, it suddenly soared 33 places to number 40, then soared another 20 places the week after, and this week it's nipped up two places from number 6 to number
2: 4. Oh, more red hot Nolan action. Al, I've got a complaint to make. I think you're. What? I think you're trolling me here. I really do. No, like, Yeah, because this, right, this is the third time we've done the Nolans, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I was on episodes 34 and 42 when we also did the Nolans. Yeah. And it still hasn't been the good song.
1: The good song, oh, of mate. course,
2: the good song is Don't Make Waves, which mm. is a sort of Irish Catholic case catalogue clad take on George McCrae's Rock Your Baby. And I yes. absolutely love it. And the fact that we still haven't done it is making me think that you're deliberately choosing I, all the shit ones I, I, with your episode choices. you, you're saying. You, you are. Right, yeah. Um, and right, here's the thing with the Nolans, right? We often use the word mum disco on chart yes. music right not I'm only sure to describe we will again yeah not only to describe the nolans but people like tina charles and liquid gold kelly marie the doolies Dooleys without goolies that is mm. um all that all that stuff <laughs> uh, and and i'm in the mood for dancing is very much the rock around the clock of mum disco in fact oh. it didn't launch the genre but it crystallized it in such a commercially successful way that it became the defining anthem of mum disco yeah. Um, well, I'll but, go further on that one, Simon. I'm I content that
0: if Saturday Night Fever was actually about John Travolta's mam, this would be the staying alive. Yeah. You would absolutely, get, yeah. You would get an opening shot of this film of a swinging fine fare carrier bag <laughs> and Neris <laughs> Hughes sauntering down the
2: high <laughs> street. Neris Hughes, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see, you know, someone talking to me about I'm in the mood for dancing in relation to the Nolans is a bit like. Someone saying, oh, yeah, Dexies, the band who did Come on Eileen. Or, yes. or, or, oh, yeah, Soft Cell, the band who did Tainted Love. And, I, you know, I just grumble, fuck that. What about This Is What yeah. She's Like or Sex Dwarf or, or, in the Nolan's case, Don't Make Waves. Anyway, yeah, yeah that's my complaint over and done with.
1: Yeah, uh, Disco, in this case, being short for discomfort. Um, <laughs> I think I've previously uh, outlined my theory that the creepiness of a pop group Increases exponentially Mm. with each sibling in the lineup. Uh, Mm. And sure enough, there's something faintly troubling about the Nolan sisters to me. It's like a, you know, like a panzer division of cloned, philistine Littlewood shop assistants, just rolling over all delicacy and detail and human creativity (laughs) and combining this absence of wit and self-awareness with the inflexible clannishness and force and solidarity of the large family uh that gives me a chill it could be partly because i'm an only child and adopted at that but i always feel a bit disturbed and discomforted by the thickness of blood Do you know what I mean? So almost Mm. perceive it as a threat to individuality. I mean, obviously, people have a strong link to their parents and their own children. But beyond that, it gets gradually scarier as you move along the branches of the family tree. Now, I'm well aware this might be my own poorly adjusted problem. But seeing all these Nolans marching towards you as one... Flattening the landscape, you know, loud and not listening. Maybe others can, can share a little of my trepidation. It's that quasi-fascistic thing about family. Do you know what I mean? Why? Just because. It's family, isn't it? My family, right or wrong. Yeah. Blood, if not soil. Mm. don't know. don't like it good to see this clip though if just as an explanation for the world jumpsuit shortage Uh, (laughs) so Nolans are not the Nolans without saggy jumpsuits and kitten heels it's uh, I believe jumpsuits are back on the high street these days but some genius has managed to make them look not like what a clown wears so progress (laughs) rolls on but you, you see the Nolans standing in a line here and Surely any woman immediately thinks, okay, that's a nightclub toilet queue that's going to take a really long time to go down. <laughs> I mean, and, oh, and also, why am I in this nightclub? <laughs> constantly, <laughs> constantly being offered baby shams by engaged glaziers with police moustaches you know <laughs> researchers for blind date just driving through the middle of the dance floor in a flatbed truck just hurling people <laughs> off the back i mean
0: they've they've gone for deliberately unmatching evening wear here haven't they just, it looks as if they've actually bags different pages of the case catalog this time <laughs> yeah they're trying
2: to strike out on their own yeah, it's almost here, as if it really. wasn't coordinated, as if they just rang each other up uh, individually uh, one evening. Said, um, I'm in the mood for dancing. Are you in the mood? Yeah, I'm in the mood for dancing as well. Yeah, yeah, let's see what Bernadette thinks. Oh, yeah, she's in the mood for dance. Yeah. And they're all wearing different outfits. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> even, even their dancing isn't coordinated. I noticed there's a moment no. where, where uh, Colleen almost collides with Ken, Kenette, Kenina, whatever her <laughs> name is. You know. Um, uh yeah which surprised me given you know you'd expect at least from what taylor was saying some kind of fascistic discipline to the way that the way they move Um, The other thing about the way they move, well, there's a couple of things that kind of upset me. It's the the dainty way that Bernie holds her microphone sideways between Mm. her fingers, like almost like Groucho Marx about to twiddle his cigar. I hate that way of holding a microphone. And um, Mm -hmm. then it's a bit near the end where, I don't know if you clock this, she sort of gets down for what's almost a slut drop, like grinding her crotch, which is just all (laughs) kinds of wrong for the Nolans. (laughs) I
1: mean, the Nolans are obviously very low-hanging fruit to say the least. And, Mm. I mean, there's not much to be gained from us sitting here saying that their music isn't really very good or, you know, maybe they didn't look especially classy. But there is something sort of interesting about the pitch of this particular horror, you know, and the fact that this is probably the last... or These are the last years when this kind of club act was part of the mainstream music scene, right? Like, people Mm. who advertise their albums on TV rather than in music papers. You yeah. Know? yeah. And there'd be 20 tracks on their album. I mean, Club Comics were still getting TV work into the 90s. Right? Little and Large still had a primetime Saturday night mm. BBC One show in 1991. Yeah. Um, mm. And other variety acts, you know, could still find a place in the big time for a while. But the early 80s was really the last call for this sort of wheel tappers and shunters type yeah. turn. Black
2: Lace were one, I think, Black Lace. I guess, you know, yeah. That, the last one.
1: When did they get under the wire? 84, oh, some, was it? Yeah,
2: something like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, after that, you had to be a TV star already, like that cruise ship singing woman. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? It's like, it was a kind of novelty. Um, but, yeah, any traffic then was in the other direction, and ex-hit singers would vanish into nostalgia cabaret, you know. Or eventually tumbling all the way down to sort of Phoenix Knights level, you know, until even that dried up because it's cheaper and it's better for the bar takings to just book, you know, Dean spunk presents a tribute to Ollie Murs and, you know, but that gap in the charts was, was filled by more professional stuff like from America, like share and things like that, you know, sort of stepped into that, 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 that hole. But, I don't know, it never fully compensated for the loss of something horrible but unique, you know, that sort of nasty British or Anglo-Irish variety tradition. Just gone forever. So, yeah, they've already done
0: this in the top of the pop studio late last month. And there's a perfectly serviceable video knocking about. But in this case, we're treated to a live performance with a full orchestra. And it's been doing my head where it's come from. We all know that the Nolan sisters were BBC people. So it could be anything. And I thought, oh, it looks a bit Seaside special. But obviously it's not because it's January. So it may be a filming from the Radio 2 series... Of Tuesday night is Gala Night from the 18th of December, which came from the Golders Green Hippodrome uh, with, and that's the Jeff Love Orchestra there. Right. If that's the case, and it's hosted by Terry Wogan because hey, it's Radio Two in the Aventis.
1: Whoever it is, the hats off to the bass player. He's having a great time there, bubbling away, just really animating this blasted deathscape. It's uh, quite impressive. Mm. What this makes me want to watch again, actually, is the opening night of sound TV, Uh, originally to be called the Great British Television Channel, but eventually went out of sound TV, which was the amusingly short-lived satellite channel set up in 2005, I think, by Richard Digens, Chris Tarrant... (laughs) Um, Ex copycats superstar Mike Osman and Jethro, <laughs> the Cornish comedian, Fuckin horse out. breeder, and uh, West Country landowner, um, Fuck, yeah. which was meant to be a haven for good old-fashioned variety acts and mm. up-and-coming talents, right? Who couldn't get past the the North London metropolitan liberal elite gatekeepers mm-hmm. at the BB, so-called, see, um, and anyone. <laughs> with a taste for hardcore British rubbish and the sour end of real-life Partridge, Uh, really should watch this. Their launch night. It's all on YouTube, right? As should anyone who thinks Brexit came out of nowhere. Um, They... (laughs) They start off showing you previews, right, of some of the stuff that's going to be coming up on sound TV, some of the, some of the delights they've got in store, which is like sailing down the river Styx on a raft made out of rancid gammon. Um, and then <laughs> after a, a taped message from Chris Tarrant, who mysteriously couldn't be there, the first programme <laughs> is just Richard Digent, Mike Osman and Jethro sat around a table in some like noisy restaurant in Southampton where they're having their launch party with a, a pretend <laughs> bottle of champagne in a bucket in front of them. There's no glasses. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, without a script, just fucking chuntering on and on and on about how they're such heroes for bringing all this great British talent to the great British public and how all these <laughs> out-of-touch TV executives don't understand what people want and they're going to give a break to all these Joe Beasley and Cheeky Monkey type club acts, you know. Um and it's amazing in itself, like just for being the worst TV you've ever seen in your life. But also it's the fascinating arrogance of these people, right? That they live in a tiny world, but they're the centre of attention wherever they go. So they assume that they're the centre of the world. And mm. it goes on and it goes on, and they're following their stream of consciousness. And Over the course of this hour, they gradually start to sound more and more bitter and it all starts to come out. And it's less and less about how great their new channel is and more and more about how they're not on proper television anymore. (laughs) Um, And this is the launch spectacular like going out live, (laughs) like firing their brand new channel into an overcrowded market. Just three snarling old cunts who've never forgiven Tony Ayres, you know, (laughs) indulging themselves (laughs) via satellite. It's really something you need to see. But it's... Oh, and the channel lasted about six months, by the way. Of course it did. Nobody watched it. As long as that. Yeah, and they all fell out. But Mm. the thing is, that is the inevitable end point of the culture that we see blooming here in this Nolan's clip, because it's a dead end culture and dead end culture is always tainted with the smell of death. And once you smell that you, you can't ignore it, you know, and I've never felt that sentimental warmth, you know, towards end of the pier shows or Mm. working man's club turns, you know, not really. I mean, I'd rather have that than, Another braying toff on live at the Apollo, you know, doing, Mm. trying to get applause breaks by talking about Brexit and stuff. But I remember growing up around this stuff, this sort of tatty variety and just at the time thinking, fucking hell, we can do better than this. We're not all savages.
0: I mean, they claim they're in the mood for dancing, but really they go no further than a bit of twirling around and then an awkward bit of twisting and some Andrew's sister's arm gestures. Yeah, I'm feeling obliged to dance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Simon, is it is Colleen Nolan the one you fancy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Alas, we can't pretend this didn't happen. Right. <laughs> no, the, no. I only found this out recently. That at the
0: I find this out. Five minutes ago.
1: You know exactly what I'm going to say.
0: I'm shocked that it's not come out.
1: At the unfortunate age of 13, yeah. she she released a solo single called Andy about her presumably imaginary love affair with Prince Andrew.
2: Oh, my God. Um,
1: <laughs> it, goes, it goes, I wouldn't swap my Jubilee poster for all the David souls in the world, which is one (laughs) or two if you count kid jensen um says you are my super prince i've loved you ever since i first set eyes on you it's very touching it's just the the simple heartwarming story of the love between an untouchably privileged and powerful man and an innocent underage girl a true fairy tale um, <laughs>
2: fucking hell it, it, yeah. it would have made him break out into embarrassed sweat except he's unable to do yeah. that of course, yeah. yeah,
1: well Colleen's fantasies of this, this better and more glamorous life no no bounds because she sings uh, you come to my house I go to your house we spend the evening watching TV
0: <laughs> then we go, then then we we go, go to Pizza, Pizza Express,
1: Express. <laughs> yay <laughs> look out for that stench of uncontrollable sweat moving closer and closer (laughs) through uh, part two of Emmerdale Farm so offer him a packet of Tato crisps (laughs) and a glass of red lemonade and hope that incapacitates (laughs) him. he's not going to marry you anyway you're Catholic so the following week
0: I'm in the mood for dancing stayed at number four but then dragged itself up to number three where it stayed for two weeks the follow up Don't Make Waves would get to number 12 in May and they'd have a number nine with Gotta Pull Myself Together in October and a number 12 with Who's Gonna Rock You in January of 1981 That bombshell, we're going to leave it for now, Pop Crazed Youngsters. Come and join us in a bit for part three of this episode of Chart Music. On behalf of Taylor Parks and Simon Price, my name's Al Needham. Stay Pop Crazed. Chart Music. Great Big Owl.